From the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association, hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is Volume 41, Number 14, for week ending Friday the 9th of April 2021. As we were compiling this edition, we heard the news of the death of His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. It's obviously not our remit to cover such an event, but as a mark of respect, we will be restricting this edition to voice only. This week's news includes, as usual, the Covid facts and figures, details of an update and revamp for the Central Arcade, the battering which Hemsby received during last week's storms, and a review of the latest Hippodrome Circus production, coming to a computer near you. I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me is Desney, your newsreader for the week, who, as usual, will take a look at a few television highlights. To start, though, the first part of the news. Hello again, this is Desney, your reader for this week, in this month of April. And what a month! Already, I woke up on Sunday, Easter Sunday, to quite a nice day, plenty of sunshine, and we had an outdoor, socially distanced picnic with quite a few members of the family that I hadn't seen for a while. Forward one or two days, and we have snow. Blizzard-like showers all day on Tuesday, even waking up to snow on the rooftops. Well, that's April for you. Next time I'm with you, it'll be May. Meanwhile, Let's see what's on offer today. Coronavirus on the coast. Resort records one of lowest rates in the UK. Coronavirus rates have fallen by close to 50% in Great Yarmouth, giving the area the 10th lowest infection rate in the whole country. Only one of our 13 neighbourhoods in the town one out of 14 in Norwich and zero out of 14 in North Norfolk reported more than two cases in the last seven days for which figures are available up to the 2nd of April. The biggest drop week on week was seen in Norwich where the number of Covid infections tumbled by 68% from 38.4% to 12.1% per 100,000. Great Yarmouth, however, now has the lowest incidence of the disease of all nine districts across Norfolk and North Suffolk, with a rate of 8.1 per 100,000, a drop of 46%. It equates to just eight cases in the seven days up to April the 2nd, the lowest since August the 23rd, although testing was down over the Easter break. The highest rates are being seen in Broadland, where a dip of just 5% was recorded, bringing the rate down to 40.1 per 100,000. Nationally, Norfolk is still well below the national figure of 38.6, down 30% standing at an average 22 cases per 100,000, down by 42%. 
Meanwhile, on April the 3rd, Galston's James Paget University Hospital recorded its first death since March the 20th. A statement on the website said, Sadly, we can confirm that a man who was being cared for at the James Paget University Hospital, who had tested positive for COVID-19, has died. The patient was in his 70s and had underlying health conditions. His family has been informed and our thoughts and condolences are with them. In January, the hospital recorded 112 deaths of patients within 28 days of a positive COVID test. The Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital has also recorded one death this month up to April 6th. It saw 308 during the height of the second wave. There have been no deaths at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn or in any other community hospital setting so far in April. Figures released on March the 30th and due to be updated on Thursday, April the 8th, shows there were eight patients with COVID at the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital, one at the JPH and the QEH had five and none in other settings. It does seem to be improving. Let's hope we can keep this up. Optimism in resort, despite gloomy report on COVID recovery. Whilst poised for millions of pounds worth of investment, Great Yarmouth has been ranked among the least likely to bounce back post-COVID. New research has revealed the town was a low scorer when it came to the strength of its local economy. The report compiled by savings platform Raisin, based its findings on the number of large businesses, business survival rates, birth and death rates, rates of people in employment, amount of the population receiving income support, and the average government spend per head. It then uses the results to decide which economies were in a good position to recover once restrictions were lifted and which ones would struggle. According to the data, Yarmouth was number four in a top ten list of those most likely to find times hard, just behind Blackpool at number three. The top ten strongest economies were all in the south, topped by Tewkesbury. However, Chris Starkey, chief executive of New Anglia Local Enterprise Partnership, said that while seaside resorts had been hard hit, there was every chance of a very successful summer season. Resorts like Great Yarmouth, which have a significant level of employment in sectors like tourism and hospitality, have been very hard hit by the coronavirus restrictions. But we hope that attractions and accommodations will be able to reopen in line with the government's roadmap and that they will have a very successful summer season. There is significant investment already underway in Great Yarmouth. Work on the third crossing has begun, the town's market is being revamped and a new water leisure centre on the seafront, supported by our Getting Building Fund, is already taking shape. With further investment coming through the town deal and the future high streets fund, 
there are many exciting projects in the pipeline and we continue to work with local public, private and education sector partners to make sure our regions, places and businesses recover from the impact of the pandemic. The report says there are problems for Blackpool where a lack of seaside tourism has seen businesses suffer and trade grind to a halt. Great Yarmouth is another seaside resort to take the full force of Covid lockdowns, with 8% fewer large businesses in operation than there were six years ago. Locally, however, the mood is more optimistic. Council leader Carl Smith said all the pumps were being primed for a successful season ahead of an expected staycation surge. He said he was proud of the town for its resilience, having beaten back various coronavirus spikes and that work had been going on, shaping a vision for recovery which had successfully drawn down many millions in investment. He went on, we have long recognised that coastal towns like ours with seasonal economies are more vulnerable and we're actually acutely aware that this last year has been a challenging time for all businesses. However, he added investment worth £200 million over the next three to four years would help put the town on a firmer footing, as well as the more than £40 million handed out in business grants and the £42 million secured for the town in the last seven months. Town Centre Manager Jonathan Newman said unlike other high streets, Yarmouth had already been through the mill and was ahead of the curve in planning its recovery. Completely new arcade. Nine businesses to open in historic row. Big changes are in store for a historic shopping arcade where nine new shops are preparing to open for business. The Victoria Arcade in Great Yarmouth has struggled in recent times, but last year its owners slashed rents in a bid to bring new traders into the mall. And over the third lockdown, which began in January, entrepreneurs, both old and new, have been moving into some of the building's vacant units, hoping to bring life back to the arcade. Among the new businesses, some of which will open on April the 12th as lockdown restrictions are further loosened, are a toy shop, a dog grooming salon, a men's clothing store, a cash and carry discount store, a sweet shops and tea rooms named Xanadu. Caroline Gummer, 38, who runs Caroline Jean Flowers and Gifts, said... We've managed to fill the arcade minus three shops, so it's going to look great. It will look like a completely new arcade. She opened her business in 2019 and has now moved to another unit, having also added a florist. Miss Gummer said that some of the businesses will be working together, coming up with new ideas to attract people to the arcade. We're trying to make sure there are lots of different shops down here and to bring something different to the town, she said. One of the new businesses will be run by 65-year-old Jeff Bateman, who is opening Toy Box 55 on Monday, April the 12th. 
His first venture into running a shop is an extension of a lockdown hobby, building Lego. Mr Bateman explained that he bought his daughter a selection of the building blocks for Christmas and that after she had tired of the game, he continued to build sets himself. Originally, he was going to sell the Lego at car boot sales, but an empty unit at Victoria Arcade came along at the right time and at the right price. It's the first time I've done this, so I'm hoping it works out and we don't go into another lockdown, he said. His shop will sell both new and pre-owned Lego, as well as a range of other toys. While in January last year only half of the arcade's 34 units were occupied, now there are only three vacant premises. The mall opened in 1925 as Central Arcade. Norfolk College gets slice of £1.5 billion funding. East Coast College will rebuild part of its campus after getting a slice of a £1.5 billion government funding. The college has been chosen as one of 16 across England to benefit from the government's Further Education Capital Transformation Fund. Apprenticeship and Skills Minister Gillian Keegan announced on Thursday, April the 8th, that the windfall has been allocated to transform East Coast's Great Yarmouth campus on Suffolk Road to create a modern multi-million pound campus. The amount of funding East Coast College will receive is yet to be determined, but the project will involve rebuilding significant portions of the east side of the campus, replacing older buildings to create new workshops, classrooms and student social space. Stuart Rimmer, CEO and Principal, said, We are delighted to be working directly with the Department of Education to create the most ambitious college building programme ever in the Eastern region. It will create a stunning, modern, multi-million pound 21st century campus in Great Yarmouth. It will be designed by our staff and students and local employers to provide an exciting campus which is inclusive and accelerates learning and development of technical skills at higher levels. This is superb news for the college, but also the town and region. The FE Capital Transformation Fund was first launched in September 2020 to rebuild and transform college estates with an initial £200 million allocated to all colleges so they could undertake immediate remedial work to refurbish their buildings. In January 2021, a second phase was launched where all colleges were invited to bid for additional funding to help upgrade their campuses. In a statement issued on gov.uk, Gillian Keegan said, It is fantastic news that we are launching the next phase of this transformation programme. Working with a small number of colleges that are some of the most in need of support to upgrade and revitalise their estates. As we recover from the pandemic, it is vital our colleges continue to be great places to learn with excellent facilities. Our priority 
is making sure every student receives high quality education and training no matter where they live so they can gain the skills they need to progress into work and help the economy to rebuild and grow. Communities urged to access grants for affordable housing. Neighbourhoods across Great Yarmouth are being reminded to apply for £5,000 grants to help deliver affordable housing. The funds from the Borough Council would help residents and community groups set up community-led housing organisations. CLHOs CLHOs are a movement of people taking action and managing housing projects in their areas. Robin Neve, chairman of Flegg Community Land Trust, said the funding was critical in assisting set-up costs. Further information is available at www.greatyarmouth.gov.uk website. People have to remain vigilant. Reed cutters boat engine stolen. A crew of reed cutters say they have been left unable to do their job after thieves made off with a key piece of equipment. Local reed cutters Lawrence Watts, Paul Eldridge and Rowan Nichols are trying to get any information on their missing outboard motor after it was snatched by thieves on Tuesday, April the 6th. Mr Eldridge and Mr Nichols arrived at work on the River Bure by St Bennet's Abbey, Ludham at 9am to find the motor had been taken. They quickly realised the tarpaulin on their boat had been loosened and the motor had been stolen. Mr Watts, 38, said there was nothing special about the outboard. It wasn't new and sparkling. Jerry cans and two-stroke oil were also taken from the boat. The trio have been cutting reeds along the broads for more than two years. Mr Watts continued, It is upsetting. By boat is the only way we can get to our reeds. Without the outboard, we can't do our job. The reed cutters informed Norfolk Police of the theft and also made an appeal for information on Facebook. The post asking for information on the crime has been shared by more than 1,000 people. The response online has been great, Mr Watts said. Local people have helped us out. People have offered us outboards. It's been really nice to see that. Mr Watts added, If someone is out stealing, then someone is out stealing. Keep your outboards under lock and key. People have to remain vigilant now. The three would like to know who took the outboard and hopefully get their motor back, but Mr Watts admitted it was a long shot. Something suspicious would stand out. Was anyone seen walking with a wheelbarrow by the Abbey's car park, he said. If anyone saw anybody on the moored boat between Friday and Tuesday, that would be useful information. Seafront Master Plans for Galston and Great Yarmouth Master plans are being created by the seafront areas of both Galston and Great Yarmouth. Each town 
will be the focus of separate, politically balanced working parties looking into how they could evolve and, crucially, draw down funding. At a meeting of the Borough Council's Policy and Resources Committee last month, it was resolved that there would be two working parties made up of five members each that would report to the committee. The aim of creating the Seafront Master Plans is to set out a framework for the development of Great Yarmouth and Galston's seafronts. According to the Borough Council, the purpose is to guide new investment so that projects are not only individually delivered to a high quality, but also that they add up collectively to more than the sum of their parts. The outcome of full implementation of the master plans will be to build confidence and the business case for future inward investment and development, as well as supporting potential funding bids. It is expected that plans outlining the vision and opportunities for both seafronts will be ready by autumn this year. Before that, all going according to the government's plan for loosening lockdown, the town will fully reopen on June the 21st. And star turn of the seafront this season will be a giant ferris wheel, a 50 metre city liner boasting 36 capsules which the Borough Council hopes will provide an additional Covid-safe draw as part of supporting the visitor economy when restrictions are lifted to allow tourism again. At Yarmouth's Britannia Pier, acts including Jimmy Carr, Sarah Millican and Jim Davidson can perform to holiday crowds, the theatre having been closed since March last year. While the Maritime Festival has been cancelled for 2021, there is still a chance for the Wheels Festival, which has been moved to September. Meanwhile, the government announced last month that £6 million funding is being allocated nationally to coastal areas bracing themselves for a staycation surge. The announcements also promised new, relaxed rules allowing every pub to have a marquee for the whole summer and not just 28 days. Can you match a nurse's daily step count? A crucial Suffolk charity, which provides care to hundreds in Great Yarmouth and Waveney, has launched the latest fundraising challenge. St Elizabeth Hospice, which provides vital care at Beckles Hospital, has challenged its supporters to match the 190-mile distance its nurses walk each month. Every day, the team of more than 50 St Elizabeth Hospice nurses walk more than 15,000 steps while caring for patients and their families. Joanne Roger, Events and Challenges Manager, said, after a difficult year due to COVID-19, we are delighted to announce the launch of Steps of a Nurse. As the government roadmap looks to lead to more positive times on the horizon, this is a great way for our supporters to show their gratitude for the work nurses do, while also staying fit 
and enjoying the outdoors in a socially distanced way. Steps of a nurse is open to all abilities and you can split your total distance across as many walks as you like throughout May and June. Everyone who takes part, every sponsor and every donation will make a difference to the hospice and will help us to continue to provide vital care to people within your community. Since March 2020, hospice care teams have provided free services to improve the lives of 1,200 people living with a progressive or life-limiting illness and their families throughout Great Yarmouth and Waveney, while the living grief and therapy teams continue to deliver important emotional support to patients using the services and families who have lost loved ones. This care is provided at a cost of 12.9 million, of which 70% is raised by the community through charity shops and fundraising activities. With vital streams severely hampered by the coronavirus pandemic, the latest challenge which runs from May the 1st to June the 30th, will provide supporters with an opportunity to raise crucial funds outdoors in a socially distanced manner. Community clinical nurse specialist Kelly Iridenko said, throughout this time, we have continued to receive ongoing support from the local community, which means everything to all hospice staff as it enables us to continue to develop our hospice service for the future. Good luck to all taking part in Steps of a Nurse. We really appreciate your support in helping us to make a difference to the lives of people in your local community. Thanks, Desney. More news in just a while, but first, Desney takes a look at the coming week's TV. Hello, let's take a bit of time out now and listen to, and see what's on the television this weekend. There are two new game shows on Saturday night, one on ITV and one on BBC, both at 7.30. One is called I Can See Your Voice, nothing like The Voice, as far as I can make out. Paddy McGuinness is, on, is in charge of this musical game show. Contestants win by guessing who can and who can't sing from a group of lips sinkers. So we've got Jimmy Carr, Amanda Holden and Alison Hammond making up the celebrity panel, helping to whittle down the singers until there's one left. And will the last person standing be tone deaf or have the voice of an angel? Well, that one's on at 7.20, trying to beat ITV by 10 minutes to get you hooked on that before you can watch the new game show on ITV, which is Game of Talents. And this one involves Vernon Kay. So he's back with a new game show that's all about uncovering people's secret gifts. Teams have to guess the bizarre hidden talents of eight mystery performers from opera singers to fire eaters and weightlifters based solely 
on a handful of clues. Well, if you fancy one of those, you can only watch one. You'll just have to watch the other one on Catch Up. BBC One has also got the Great British Sewing Bee, which some of you may know was on BBC Two for many years. Like uh, Dragon's Den, which has just come back and is now on BBC One, they seem to have got promoted. Another um, programme that's on this weekend, which is obviously just a one-off, it's not a series, it's the Grand National. I don't think it's the Grand National as we usually see it. There won't be the crowds we usually enjoy watching, but there will be a large number of horses in this race, which some people think is a very, very cruel one, and some people just can't wait to see. Well, whatever your feelings, if you do want to know about it, it starts at 4.30pm. And that's on ITV. Sundays lately have been taken up with crime dramas and police stories of all kinds. ITV, with its Midsummer Murders, a two-hour slot for the past three or four Sundays. I think this is the fourth one this weekend and it's the last in the current series. And my goodness, there have been many of them. This programme started in 1997. So it's getting on a bit now. On the other side, we have a one-hour one programme and I think that's enough because Line of Duty is far more complicated than Midsummer Murders. Midsummer Murders may have some very eccentric kinds of cases to solve. Most original murders to figure out. But Line of Duty is more concerned with the police themselves. Line of Duty is mainly concerned with AC-12. That's an anti-corruption unit trying to prevent serving officers who are trying to have their wicked way with the public or with their fellow police officers. This is in its sixth series, having started in 2012. The stars are Adrian Dunbar as Superintendent Hastings, Vicky McClure as Kate, and Martin Comston as the third member of the gang. No, not gang. That's probably the wrong word when you're talking about crime. These are the goodies. These are AC-12, the corruption unit. One of them couldn't be bad, could they? Well, we're hoping not, but you'll have to wait and see. This is the sixth series, and if you haven't seen any before, I think they've all been on iPlayer, so you can catch up. Although they're all standalone series, they do sometimes bring in characters that have been in previous series. I didn't really get into it until series five. I watched that. This is series six. I'm watching that. I've seen one and most of two on catch up. But there's still that hole in the middle where I always think something is going to happen which would have made more sense to me if I'd watched the three and four as well. Never mind. You have to get round all these acronyms in Line of Duty. AC-12, well that's pretty simple, anti-corruption as I say, but we've got OCG, we've got CHIS, we've got all sorts of strange things. OCG is an organised crime gang, 
I got that one fairly quickly. But some of the others, you almost need a notebook to write these things down. So I think that's really the pick of the weekend with the two new game shows on Saturday and the crime and police dramas on Sunday. Plus, of course, the Grand National. If there's anything that you really like, it would be so lovely to hear from you, but we don't have the facility of the answer phone at the moment, so if there's any way you can contact us via our website, it would be really, really handy. Interesting stuff there, but please note that this was recorded prior to the announcement of Prince Philip's passing, and so the TV schedules may be different from what Desney mentioned. OK, more news. And we start this section of the news with warm tributes to a true lifeboat legend who knew everyone and loved a pint. Like many of his seafaring kind, his horizons rarely stretched beyond his village and the workplace waves he knew like the back of his hand. Billy Reed, a lifeboatman for 60 years, has died in the same Caister cottage he was born in. He was 85. Possessing the kind of seafaring knowledge that has all but gone, he was among the last of a great generation of Caister characters. Modest men, always ready for a yarn, and thinking little of the matter-of-fact bravery that saw them launch in all weathers. He was like a magnet, said Dick Thurlow, a former coxswain. If he was sat on a bench, you had to stop and have a yarn. He was as dry as they come. We used to give him grief when we were youngsters. Although we were never nasty, devilish was the word. He was a proper character, and to us, a legend. After leaving school, he worked as an apprentice with Lacon's Brewery, cleaning the pumps. He then went into drifting aboard the Rose Bay and joined the lifeboat crew under coxswain Jack Plummer of Plummer's Dentists. A spell in the Merchant Navy saw him working mostly in UK waters before returning to Caister where he had a fish and chip shop in Tan Lane. People would queue round the block in those days, Mr Thurlow said, while he and his mates would cause havoc loosening the salt shaker tops and generally larking about. Japes that would often result in him feeling the toe of Billy's boot. After some 20 years frying fish, he went back to fishing full-time aboard Sarah, later cast as the Lydia Eva's lifeboat when she became a floating museum. Things took a tragic turn in 1991 when his brother Benny, the then coxswain, was killed after Maroon misfired and hit him in the chest one sunny September day. The alert turned out to be a false alarm. Mr Reed was offered Coxon but turned it down, eventually agreeing to be second in command behind Mr Thurlow. Mr Thurlow said his knowledge and skill were invaluable on many missions and cited an incident in December 1993 when Mr Reed was behind the wheel off the Dutch coast for some six hours amid towering waves, a feat for which they earned official recognition. On that occasion, the lifeboat had launched to reports of a fisherman washed overboard on a Dutch boat. His body was trawled up some time later 
with a wartime bomb. Mr Reed was one of the founder members of the Caister Independent Lifeboat after the RNLI pulled the plug in 1969. He and a group of other fishermen each put in £50 and had another life-saving boat in the shed almost immediately after the National Charities one was taken away. Mr Thurlow said Mr Reed was a very private man who was never one to put himself forward. Although straight-talking, he never looked for confrontation but would always stand his ground. He never married but had plenty of family around him including his sister Margaret and nieces and nephews who still lived nearby. Mr Thurlow added that he enjoyed his life, especially his trips to the pub for a model with his mates and, as a younger man, didn't mind a rumble on a Saturday night, stressing they would all be friends shaking hands over a pint the next day. He enjoyed growing vegetables and his chickens, and still met up at the social club on a Friday night up until the second lockdown in November. His nephew, Philip Crow, said his uncle had suffered with ill health for some time. But on the day he died, March the 23rd, he had been chatting as usual in the morning, but had not awoken from his afternoon nap. He said he was a lovely uncle and kind and generous. He leaves a sister Valerie and her family in America and a sister Margaret in Caister and numerous nieces and nephews. His funeral service on April the 14th will see the Caister crew mount a guard of honour. The cortege will go past his house and offer him a last look at the sea and the boathouse. Mr Thurlow said it was sad because he deserved so much more in terms of a send-off as everyone knew him and he had so many friends. New cafe bid for Great Yarmouth Row. A former shop in Great Yarmouth could see new life as a cafe as a planning application comes before the Borough Council. The premises in Broad Row is currently vacant, having once traded as an Asian grocery store, Oriental Taste. The planning application states that Mohandas Mohabir is proposing to change the use of the premises from retail store to cafe. The business would occupy the property's ground floor. Opening hours would be from 9am to 6pm on Monday to Saturday and 9am to 4.30pm on Sundays. A decision on the application is expected by April the 26th. Man fined for not wearing face mask in BP garage. A Norfolk man has been fined after refusing to wear a face covering in a BP garage. Terry Palmer had been standing in the queue at the Ackle garage behind an elderly couple when an officer from the Norfolk and Suffolk Roads and Armed Policing team entered the store after refuelling. The 49-year-old roofer of Chapel Yard, Stokesby, initially denied the charge of entering the store without a face covering when he appeared at Great Yarmouth Magistrates Court on Tuesday, April the 7th, but changed his plea during the hearing after failing to provide proof of his medical exemption at the time. Prosecutor Michael Devaney said, 
At around 4.40pm, the officer entered the store to pay and saw Palmer standing in line without a face covering and standing quite close to the elderly couple in front. When challenged, he said COVID was rubbish, or similar, and the office began to explain the guidelines. Palmer was served a fixed penalty notice following the incident, which he refused to pay, resulting in the matter being sent to court. When asked about trial preparations, Palmer was unable to offer a defence or provide medical evidence and, after reviewing the officer's body cam footage, changed his plea to guilty. He told magistrates, I had heard masks weren't effective and didn't have to be worn if you had an exemption. I could never wear a mask or have a duvet over my face because it makes me breathless and feel claustrophobic. I felt intimidated by being approached and like I was being harassed. It was because he was progressing with that, with it, that I felt harassed and not angry. If I'd known back then that you can get the exemption cards, then I would have, and I now do. At the time, I thought only doctors were giving them out, but I haven't been diagnosed with anything, and it wasn't until later I found out you could make them online. Magistrates ordered Palmer to pay a £200 fine, equivalent to his unpaid notice, as well as a £34 victim surcharge and £105 court costs. Generators used as work to fix huge power cut takes longer than expected. A large power cut hit more than 2,200 homes across several areas of Norfolk and beyond on Wednesday. UK Power Networks said they were first made aware of the issue at 8.37am that day. By 8.56am, the utility firm said, it had restored power to more than half of the affected homes and businesses remotely, leaving 1,023 without electricity. Engineers were sent out to investigate a suspected issue affecting an underground cable. Some cuts affected areas in Norfolk and Waveney, in Attleborough, North Walsham, Winterton-on-Sea, Galston-on-Sea and Carlton-Colville near Lowestoft. The same problem also hit some people living in parts of Cambridgeshire, Hertfordshire and Essex. Not all homes in these areas were affected, but those hit were without power for several hours. UK power networks had hoped to resolve the issue by 11am and by that point had restored power to most of the homes. However, a lot of work was required on-site to fully resolve the issue, meaning the estimated completion time was pushed back to 3pm. The firm provided temporary generators for those who were still without power to provide them with electricity while engineers went about their work. Urgent overnight road closure in Great Yarmouth Urgent work to repair a pothole will close a road overnight in Great Yarmouth. The job, costing £15,000, will see Norfolk County Council repair the surface of Gapton Hall Road at its junction with Gapton Hall Roundabout. 
it will take one night to complete from approximately 8pm on Friday, April the 9th to 6am on Saturday, April the 10th. A signed diversion route will be in place and access to the retail park will be via the A47 Halfriss Roundabout, Halfriss Road and Morton Pitto Road. The County Council has thanked people for their patience while the work is carried out. Coast Guard warning after teenagers spotted wave dodging. A warning has been issued after three teenagers were seen dodging waves at a breakwater in Galston. Her Majesty's Coast Guard Galston was alerted to the incident at the town's seafront near the Pier Hotel at 5.30pm on Tuesday, April the 6th. A member of the public had called in with concerns that three teenage boys were running along the breakwater dodging waves. In a post on its Facebook page, the Coast Guard said the activity was a game of dare that could easily have turned into a tragic event. It only takes one unexpected wave to knock you off your feet and sweep you out to sea or receive a nasty fall. Kevin Woodcock, Deputy Station Officer, said, There's always a danger of slipping or being washed or blown into the water around piers, river walls and rock armour, especially in strong winds and high tides. Our advice is to pay attention to weather forecasts, tide times and hazard warnings. Basically, steer clear of such structures in extreme weather conditions, he added. If anyone has concerns for people's safety along our coastline, call 999 and ask for the Coast Guard. Here's a review by Stacia Briggs on Great Yarmouth Hippodrome's Pirates Online. The show must go on line. Last year, the pirates at Great Yarmouth's Hippodrome Circus were in lockdown. This year, they're live again, albeit on the small screen rather than on stage. The Hippodrome's usually sold-out live Easter show has been cancelled for the second year running. But there's an online alternative for those missing their circus fix, and it's fantastic. If there's a better way to entertain the family during what feels like the millionth day stuck indoors with nothing to do on a grey cold day, then I am struggling to recall it. For £10 you can watch Pirates Online for two whole weeks of unlimited viewing. Just add popcorn and a bag of chips for the bit where you'd leave the circus and head to the seafront at Yarmouth. When I reviewed the Christmas 2020 spectacular in person at the circus, I said that we've never needed the circus more than we do now. The same sentiment remains, only this time they need us as much as we need them. The Hippodrome Circus was recently denied support from the Arts Council in the latest round of the Cultural Recovery Fund. It came as a huge and concerning blow to one of Norfolk and the UK's 
most important historical performance venues and means that finding alternative revenue streams is of vital importance in order to survive until summer. Luckily, when it comes to innovation, Peter J and family are the ringmasters. Last year, the Hippodrome led the way to the arts when it became the first theatre in the UK to reopen. And after the first lockdown and the venue continued to offer shows despite the difficulties of social distancing and bringing artists from across the world. We couldn't have done any more to deliver shows last year, said circus owner Peter Jay. We've spent the last 40 years of our lives trying to save this amazing building and once again make it thrive. And until last year, we've never been offered any funding help in doing so. Last year, there was funding help from the Cultural Recovery Pot, which went a little way towards producing the annual shows. Company director Ben Jay added, Being closed for large parts of last year and then attempting to work with all the restrictions in place to open has been an incredible struggle. We managed to deliver our world-class levels of shows for our community throughout the year. However, with various lockdowns and closures, it came to a huge financial loss for our company. His brother and show producer and star Jack said, now more than ever, we need the support of our community. And after watching the Easter show, as the Easter snow fell outside and the wind carried the plastic greenhouse down the garden, I can assure you that helping a world-class venue and a great cause doesn't get any more enjoyable than this. Your online ticket takes you into the magical, watery world of Captain Jack Hawkseye, Jack J, Pirate Johnny, Johnny Mac, and evil Captain Blackeye, James Franklin, and his band of cutthroat buccaneers. You'll meet mermaids and an octopus, spend time on a 40-foot pirate galleon, learn the rum rhyme, and along the way take in some breathtaking circus acts, including the cloud swing, aerial chains, fire breathers, aerialists, dancers, swimmers, acrobats and gymnasts. Filmed in the historic Hippodrome Circus building, the show is beautifully shot and lit and boasts stunning visual and sound effects and views of the stage you may never have seen before. It's a chance to fully immerse yourself in a show that gives you the rare opportunity to see the action and the acts at very close quarters. J. Mack and Franklin, my favourite baddie of them all, have an incredible chemistry that comes from having worked together for so many years and the wit is rapier sharp. There are lots of laugh out loud moments and gags that will please all the family as Captain Jack and Private Johnny try to defend the port of Great Yarmouth against Captain Blackeye and his ruthless crew. The plot is interspersed with fabulous acts such as Salvatore Sambito on the cloud swing and aerial chains and the Tanzania warriors acrobats. As usual, the Estelle Clifton dancers and swimmers 
are swashbucklingly great. The mermaid swimmers in particular are quite mesmerising as they try to lure Captain Blackeye into the deep. While nothing will replace the live shows, this filmed experience does offer a novel way to watch the circus. For a start, you can pause the action if you need to. You can re-watch sections or the whole thing and the detail you can see is spellbinding. It's almost balletic in parts, dreamy and beautiful, while in others it's raucous and fast-paced. It's a show that ticks every box and it's the perfect antidote to a frozen Easter holiday when your young pirates are just downright irate. Your circus needs you. Roll up, roll up, enjoy the show and play your part in keeping this wonderful institution alive. Pirates Online is streaming until April the 14th. And if you're interested and you happen to be lucky enough to have either a computer or a smart TV, you can buy your tickets at www.hippodromecircus.com or one word in lowercase, dot co dot uk forward slash pirates. That's hippodrome circus dot co dot uk forward slash pirates. You have to give credit where credit's due, and you could never accuse the Jay family of not trying. Okay, last part of the news now, and it's back to Disney. The big wheel arrives on Yarmouth seafront. A highly anticipated giant Ferris wheel has finally arrived along Great Yarmouth's seafront. The Yarmouth eye structure, which is a 50 metre tall and when completed will have 36 capsules and a 216 passenger strong capacity, is currently being assembled next to the Sea Life Centre on Marine Parade. It is already dominating the seafront skyline, with Great Yarmouth Borough Council expecting it to be visible from the Acle Strait when illuminated on summer evenings. Crews began setting up the big wheel last week, with much of the initial work complete by Easter Monday. It will be open from 10am to 10pm, seven days a week from April to November, in line with the government's coronavirus roadmap. April the 12th is the earliest possible opening date, though this has not been confirmed by the planners. Council leader Carl Smith said the landmark attraction will boost footfall during a challenging time for the tourist economy. Jake de Koning of the Giant Wheel Company said it will offer views of Yarmouth and Norfolk for over 10 miles and we believe it will be a great attraction to what this beautiful seaside resort already has to offer. Flood alerts issued after strong winds and high water levels hit coast. A handful of flood alerts remain in place after strong winds and high water levels hit parts of the Norfolk and Suffolk coast. The Environment Agency has said that five flood alerts remain on Tuesday, April the 6th, with high water levels expected in Norfolk and Suffolk 
following the blustery bank holiday weather conditions. Flood alerts were still in force on Wednesday at the River Nar in Norfolk, the River Burn from Southgate and Waterden to Burnham Thorpe, the tidal rivers Bure, Ant and Thurn, the tidal river Waveney from Ellingham to Braden Water and the tidal river Yare from Thorpe St Andrew to Braden Water. The Environment Agency said some coastal and riverside roads and footpaths were affected by minor flooding with high water levels expected that may last for a few days. It comes after strong winds had caused overtopping on the coast, with high waters reaching the public benches in Nicholas Everett Park at Alton Broad in Lowestoft on Easter Monday. HM Coast Guard rescue officers from Lowestoft had issued warnings after parts of the popular park at Alton Broad was flooded with the Boulevard car park and walkthrough completely underwater on Monday afternoon as high waters hit. With the broads overtopping, the high waters were close to the doors of the Waveney and Alton Broad Yacht Club while there were reports of minor flooding along Caldicott Road as numerous footpaths were affected. The River Blythe flooded parts of the quayside at Southwold Harbour on Easter Monday, while high water levels were also reported at Beckles Quay. But with flood water starting to recede on Tuesday morning, two flood warnings were removed and are no longer in force along the Suffolk coast at Southwold and the Suffolk coast from Lowestoft to Bordsey. A spokesman for the Environment Agency said, continue to take care on waterside roads and footpaths and don't put yourself in unnecessary danger. We expect to see further high water levels in Brundle and Reedham riverside areas at Beckles Quay around Potter Hyam. Rocks and Boatyards and Ferry Road in Horning. Close call for Cliff Top Home as winter winds batter coast. Lance Martin has mounted a solar light on a pole at the end of his Cliff Top plot, and when that goes, it will be the end for him too, he says. The 63-year-old former soldier said Monday night's wild weather brought him the closest yet to oblivion as the waves grabbed some 20 foot of sandy dune at his Hemsby home. It meant moving the shed before it collapsed into the sea and taking down a fence. Bread baskets that formed one line of defence have been ripped away. You just feel useless, he said. I don't usually stress too much, but I had a sleepless night. I was really so worried. It has given me cause for thought, and I lost a lot more than I thought I would. But there is still fight in me, and I will carry on until the bitter end. At some point I'm going to have to pull the plug, but hopefully they will get the sea defences in first. The 63-year-old lives in the only cliff-top home along the seaward side of the Marums to survive the beast from the east in 2018. At one point it was hanging over the edge 
with the churning sea visible beneath the kitchen floor. Efforts to protect his home have included pulling it back from the edge and installing a robust rock barrier at the base of the dune. Now there is a vertical drop at the end of his plot, where once there were sloping sands. In the next few days, and with the help of the village lifeboat crew, he aims to shore up the cliff face and add in some terracing to replicate the shape of what was there before. In the long term, however, a rock berm is being tipped as the best way to protect Hemsby and its tourism economy, said to be worth many millions to Norfolk. The defensive structure, likely to cost between 8 million and 13 million, depending on its length, is said to be progressing well, with a public consultation on the various options likely to start at the end of this month, April, ahead of environmental studies and a planning application. People in the village generally support the rock berm scheme as a way of buying time. Overall, the berm will help to manage and reduce the erosion rather than prevent it. Meanwhile, on March the 28th, DEFRA announced 25 areas set to share in a £150 million funding pot to develop new flooding responses. The schemes will trial a wide range of different approaches to resilience tailored to local communities and led by local authorities over six years. Hemsby is among four erosion-hit communities identified as target areas for the fund, although the focus is on innovation rather than hard defences and is completely separate to the Rock Burn project. Penny Carpenter, chairman of the Environment Committee, said the Rock Berm consultation would look at design options and costings and was the next important step towards a final scheme for planning approval. Alongside this work, she added, we were very pleased with last week's news that Coastal Partnership East's funding bid to DEFRA for a programme to support coastal adaptation to climate change across eight communities on the Norfolk and Suffolk coast, including at Hemsby, has been chosen to progress to the next stage of the application process. James Bensley, who had to close his seaside takeaway over the weekend due to the bad weather, said wild winds and a fast sea running from the north had torn a six-foot step in the beach. It is distressing, he said, because people come to Hemsby for our beautiful beach, and if we have not got that, you have to worry about people's livelihoods. In February, the beach at Hemsby was hit hard by Storm Darcy, exposing debris left by homes taken by previous weather events, and also a shipwreck believed to be that of the Dandy Unity, which founded in 1899. Heartbreak as lifeboat struggles to launch from eroded beach. The coxswain of an independent lifeboat service is calling for urgent action on coastal erosion that is taking years 
and putting lives and livelihoods at risk. Daniel Hurd, whose boat launches from the beach at Hemsby, said he was at a loss to understand why more wasn't being done more quickly to protect the community. The Independent Service attempted to respond to an alert on Tuesday, April the 6th, involving a woman in distress, and although it was stood down at the last minute, vital time could have been lost negotiating a step carved out by high tides and winds on Monday. As it was, the depleted beach had already started to recover and they probably could have made it to the waves, albeit not as quickly as the crew would like. It's a constant battle down there, he said. I've always said if there was a ten-foot drop, we would get the boat down there one way or another. It would have been a matter of getting shovels out, but it delays our launch time. We were put under pressure last night, but before we had to launch, the casualty was found and arrested. Getting this rock berm, there is too much talk and we want action, not all this paperwork. It seems ridiculous. There are people losing their homes. It is heartbreaking when you see a nice coastline so damaged. The people in the summer love that beach and I'm passionate about the coast. What the area brings in should surely outweigh the millions they would have to pay out for the scheme. A rock berm is being tipped as the most acceptable and affordable line of defence, although Mr Hurd prefers rate and favours groins as a method of holding on to sand. The cost and final design has yet to be worked out but is estimated at around 10 million. A public consultation is due to start later this month. In the meantime, it was up to volunteers and the goodwill of businesses making donations and offering their services for free or at a reduced cost to try and repair the damage. The volunteer lifeboat crew is aiming to spend the weekend manoeuvring tons of sand to help build up the beach and also fill in dangerous gaps behind rocks. They also planned to help householder Lance Martin, whose stretch of dune was also badly damaged, putting his dream home at risk once again. Mr Hurd said while the berm was being worked out, some financial help would be appreciated. Anglia Plant had always done their best to help, and James Bensley, ward councillor, had donated £400 of his allocated budget. But make do and mend was not a solution. Men caught on camera encircling and harassing a young seal. A wildlife enthusiast has slammed the sickening behaviour of two men caught on camera encircling and harassing a seal on the local beach. Jack Ellis Leek, a great Yarmouth local who founded the Facebook group Wildlife and Environmental Awareness Worldwide, said he was contacted by a member of the public on Easter Sunday who had concerns for the seal's welfare. The member of the public claims she saw two men kicking and pestering a young seal, 
resting on the sand at Yarmouth Central Beach. When they saw she began filming, they seemingly changed their behaviour and acted like they were merely trying to help it get back in the water. Mr Ellis Leake said he then made his way down to the beach to keep an eye on the seal, which he imagined would be under some duress. I saw it bobbing its head in a patch of stones and it seemed quite young, he explained. It was blending in around five metres from the water, obviously trying to hide from any threats. The two men in question had left the area and it was worrying to think they could have caused real damage. Even if they were trying to get it back into the water, they were taking all the wrong and potentially fatal steps to do so. Touching the seal or pushing it with your feet not only risks your own safety, but could cause the seal stress and internal injuries. Getting too close to a seal alone can kill it because it gets so disorientated. Mr Ellis Leake, who sat and watched the seal for two hours until it was dark, and he was the last person on the beach, said he asked approaching families if they could put their dog on the lead while they crossed paths with the seal. The reactions I got were great, he said, adding that it was frustrating there is a small minority of people who do not seem to heed well-publicised advice to strictly leave the seals be. He said plastic pollution, fishing lines and netting is bad enough in the area, so the last thing we need is people thinking that attacking our seals is okay. Just three days ago, the Friends of Horsey Seals issued an urgent message asking the public to stay away from the animals over Easter. Great Yarmouth Minster helped out with nearly £20,000 in government funding. Great Yarmouth Minster has been given nearly £20,000 from a £1.57 billion culture recovery fund. It was announced on Monday the Minster will receive a grant of £19,200 from the Culture Recovery Fund to help recover and reopen. Due to the pandemic, the building, Yarmouth's oldest, has been closed for much of the past year. Canon Simon Ward, Rector of Great Yarmouth, said, This is fantastic news. Easter is the time of great rejoicing in church, and this certainly adds to the joy. It's been a really tough year for Great Yarmouth Minster, and so sad to see our doors frequently closed. We look forward to open doors and inviting visitors to come and appreciate this historic building. The award will help the church to carry out essential maintenance and develop capacity to keep the doors open. Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden said our record-breaking Culture Recovery Fund has already helped thousands of culture and heritage organisations across the country survive the biggest crisis they have ever faced. Bid for 240 new homes, little store and 60-bed housing with care scheme. An application for 240 new homes, 
a discount supermarket and 60 extra care beds is in the hands of planners. Norfolk County Council is looking to build the homes and the independent living facility on farmland it owns south of Lynx Road in Galston. Owing to the coronavirus pandemic, a website had been set up allowing people to have their say. Plans have now been formally submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council with a consultation beginning on April the 6th. The site has been allocated for up to 500 homes with this bid relating to Phase 1. A spokesman for Norfolk County Council stressed the Housing with Care scheme was in the very early stages but that the idea was similar to schemes already taking shape in Akel and Fakenham. The application for housing and extra care beds is an outline bid, while the proposal for a little supermarket is for full planning. The supermarket will be in the top corner of the site by the roundabout. The scheme will also include 15% affordable housing and will see a range of eco-friendly measures including solar panels on the food store roof, electric charging points and sustainable drainage as well as supporting social infrastructure by way of financial contributions towards education, health care and the library service. Regarding the extra care beds the spokesman said the aim was to promote independent, which was known to have positive effects on mental and physical health. The spokesman added, We've always said we want to bring forward much more of these kinds of provision across Norfolk, and this may be a possibility for this site in Galston, although that isn't set in stone at this stage and there isn't yet a development partner in place. Opinion on the proposed Lidl store has been mixed, with some suggesting it would be better sited on Beacon Park. The majority of people commenting on the website opposed the plans, citing a range of concerns, including loss of agricultural land and views, congestion and pressure on services. One person tagged it as an urban sprawl, while another said it would be like Legoland. To have your say, visit the Borough Council's planning portal on its website. Seal, trapped in plastic ring for two years, is rescued in Norfolk. A seal, which suffered a seven centimetre deep wound due to a plastic ring around its neck, for two and a half years is now receiving treatment. The adult grey seal was caught at Horsey Beach on Easter Sunday by the seal rescue team, part of Friends of Horsey Seals. Around its neck was a two and a half centimetre white plastic ring embedded in her neck and as the seal has grown the plastic has cut deeper into her neck as well as becoming infected and very smelly. The group said the collar was first sighted nearly two and a half years ago, 
leading to the seal to be dubbed Mrs Vicar. She is now being treated at RSPCA East Winch Wildlife Centre in West Norfolk, but will require months of care. Alison Charles, manager at RSPCA East Winch, said, Sadly, we know the seal has had the ring around her neck for over two years. I'm so grateful she's now been rescued and we can care for her. She's very quiet this morning and her wound is very sore with a bad smell, but we are hopeful she will recover. We can start giving her the salty baths she needs to help her neck wound recover soon. We add two 25 kilogram bags of salt to each bath and she has one bath a day until her neck has begun to granulate. This is the healing process when you cannot debride and stitch a wound. It's so infuriating knowing that this injury could have been prevented. All we can do now is hope that Mrs Vicar is strong enough to pull through. Even if she makes it through the next few days, we're not out of the woods and we will be treating her for a number of months. In the last two years, the RSPCA has received 8,092 calls about animals injured or caught up in litter. Peter Ansell, chairman of the Friends of Horsey Seals, said, This poor animal has had this flange slowly biting deeper into her neck as she grew bigger, finally inflicting a deep and bloody wound around the entire circumference. But we are delighted to have been able to now leave her with the brilliant and dedicated team at EWWC, where she will receive first-class treatment and ultimately be returned to the sea. Stolen cars recovered after Facebook makes them too hot to handle. A business has managed to recover three of the four cars stolen from its premises in a targeted, well-orchestrated burglary. Michael Robertson Young, manager at Aerocoat in St Olives, said they were found on account of the power of social media which helped make the cars too hot to handle. In a Facebook post last week, he said, On March the 27th, we were broken into and burgled. Despite having CCTV and other measures in place, they managed to take customers' vehicles. This may be alarming, but rest assured, we are insured and the customers are being updated. We're doing everything we can to assist the police. As from next week, we will be implementing further precautions with bollards being used for every vehicle. This was a targeted, well-orchestrated crime and we will be offering a reward for any information leading to a safe recovery of the two remaining stolen vehicles. By the time the post went onto Facebook, on March the 28th, two of the cars stolen from Aerocoat's compound had already been found. But Mr Robertson Young went on to ask users to share it far and wide to assist the recovery of the two remaining vehicles. 
The Post received nearly 1,000 shares and plenty of local support. Since then, Aerocoat has been successful in recovering a white crew cab Ford Ranger, which was picked up on March the 31st. As of today, only one of the cars is still missing, a grey Lexus YE18LUW. Mr Robertson Young said the police are pressing ahead with their investigation, so hopefully the final car has been found. I'll receive an update tomorrow from them either way. The power of social media has been phenomenal in helping us to recover the vehicles. It's amazing how far you can get the message out through Facebook. Norfolk Constabulary said the burglary was believed to have happened in the early hours of Saturday, March the 27th. Well, that's it from this edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Andrew, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you stay safe and well, and until next week, it's bye for now.